I want to start our conversation on hearing the voice of God with uh, talking about having a real relationship with God. It is, you'll notice that it's the first chapter of my book, if you've read it or if you read it, and you don't have to, but if you do, it is what I begin to talk about in the conversation of hearing God's voice. And I've been teaching this topic for at least 12 years, which may not seem like a long time to some of us, but for me, it's a long time. I, I have done everything I can to study the scriptures, and I think that I somewhat stumbled into this topic. I think that uh, I began to hear the voice of God in unique ways. I was going to a church at the time when I first became a Christian, and they, at that time, didn't really believe that God spoke outside of the Bible. Now, up front, I want you to know, I believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to His people today. I believe He's speaking to people or communicating, which we'll talk about next week. But it doesn't mean that He's contradicting His Word. The Bible is the eternal Word, the eternal voice of God, the unchanging for all people, for all generations, for all time, Word of God. It does not change. And God meant for us to have it for very specific reasons. But within the context of God's Word and the framework of what He has spoken to us through His Word, there are many things that you and I specifically need to understand how we apply them in the 21st century in Mill Creek, Washington, Silverfur's neighborhood where I live. There are specific things that God is saying to us in the context and within the framework of His Word that will apply. And that's what we're after. We're after knowing the Word of God, the written Word of God, and learning how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in the context of the life that we live. And so if you're, maybe you came from a church that, uh, or you were raised in an environment where they just said, God only speaks in the Word. And I would say that's partly true. God speaks through His Word, in His Word. But His Word, the Bible, it, it doesn't have the same purpose for, or, uh, as hearing the Holy Spirit, if you, if you would understand what I'm trying to say. The Bible is fixed. It's the foundation. It doesn't uh, change. So if I feel this way or feel that way, it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what I think. It's true. It's the foundation of our faith. And the foundation is something that's really important because you walk on a foundation every day. It, you never leave the foundation. Anything that is built has to be built on a proper foundation. So when we talk about hearing God's voice, you, you have to understand that's where I'm coming from. And whenever people talk about hearing the voice of God and they don't have a, um, a thorough understanding of Scripture being the foundation, they're going to get off somehow in one way or another. And that's not us. You haven't come to a place that's wishy-washy. We're not a place that uh, plays around with the Bible and um, we do actually teach a class called How to Study the Bible, where we did observation, interpretation, application. It's a passion of mine to know the Word of God. And in charismatic and Pentecostal churches all over the world, they're losing that drive and that passion. And I would just tell you, not here. Not here, not in this church, not in Immersion Discipleship School. We are people that are standing on the Word, we're standing with the Word, and we are speaking the Word of God. That's never going to change. But that doesn't mean that we don't hear the voice of the Spirit as we walk with Him and talk with Him. And I think it's vital to understand that to our relationship with Him. It's why I start the conversation of hearing God's voice talking about relationship. It's important. And what we believe about this is, is vital. It's, it's part of 
this foundation. And I think that if we really want to hear the voice of God, it's not really about hearing as much as it is about knowing God. And our pursuit of knowing God really is what is like the prerequisite for truly hearing Him. It's not about just getting something from God. It's, he's not a genie in a bottle, amen? He's not, uh, we're not just trying to get out of Him what we want. Or uh, Sometimes when people talk about hearing the voice of God, they're like, God, I just want to know what you're saying to me. And, and if you kind of follow that stream of logic, a lot of times as a pastor, when I hear people say that, what they mean is, I want you to tell me what to do. God, I want you to tell me what to do. I want you to tell me what's next step to take, and, and I want you to get, just give, give it specific. I mean, I want it to like boom from heaven, you know, a sci-fi experience. You know, I don't even want, I don't want to be wrong, and I, I get that. You understand? I get that, but it's not always like that. Matter of fact, I would say it's usually not like that at all. But I would say to you that um, our drive to want to get direction from God can be misguided if we don't realize that hearing from Him is embedded in the context of knowing Him. Our pursuit, our passion has got to be to know God, not just obey God. Jesus didn't give his life. He didn't give his life for broken, sinful people so that he would just have obedient servants, right? We realize he's after more than that. By the way, the angels are better servants than you and I. Would you agree with that? <laughs> I mean, they're like excited to do the will of God. We're kind of like reluctant and like, what? Well, I don't know, is that God? <laughs> you know what I mean? We're sort of like lazy, you know? We'll get around to it, you know? It's like for five years, we're holding on to that thing that might have been God, and the angels are like, boom, you know? And so he's not after just good servants, because that's not really what we are in this side of heaven anyways. I think he's, what he's really after, Scripture would tell us, is he's really, he created us to be sons and daughters. Christianity is about family. It's about relationship, and the kind of relationship should, quite frankly, blow our minds, I mean, it should just blow our minds that God made human beings to be in relationship with him. Jesus said in John 10, 27, he said, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep, my people is what he's meaning. And I know them and they follow me. And if you look at this kind of closely, he's talking to religious leaders and they're questioning him like crazy. And he's saying that the, um, the stranger's voice, the sheep will not follow, right? But they'll follow the shepherd's voice. And he's, he's saying that he is the shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. And some translations say, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow. So we, as Jesus' sheep, as his people, we can hear, we can know. And that word know is not just know about. It's to intimately be acquainted with. It's to know him intimately. We can know him. And then obviously what we do with what he says means everything. We follow him. We listen, we hear, we know him intimately, relationally, and we follow him. It's an incredible truth. So I always teach, and I believe this with all my heart, that hearing the voice of God is a privilege of relationship. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we necessarily have to fast and beg God for. I mean, surely we want to spend time with him to hear him more often and more clearly, but it's a privilege of relationship that Jesus paid a price for. We don't have to earn it. We just rest in it and receive from him in this way. And so as we learn to hear God's voice, I want to kind of set us on this foundation of God's word and the concept or the, the really the truth of relationship with him. And we need to know the first thing I talk about is we were created for relationship with God. Genesis opens with God creating everything, the heavens, the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, animals, plant life, all of that. And then he creates human beings. He creates us. And it says in Genesis 1, through 30, 
God said, let us make man in our own image, according to our own likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and every creeping thing that crawls upon the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, both male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it. And he goes on to say, rule over all of the other things that I've created. It's interesting to note that God made us special. I believe that. He made us special. I mean, he hangs the stars. There's a psalm that said God hung the stars in the sky. I I thought about that for a while. There's another psalm that says God spoke and stars came out of his mouth like they were created as he spoke. Can Can you imagine that? The word of God was that powerful. He said, let there be light, and there was light, and He spoke, and all of these things came into being, were created. You know, they just yielded to his voice. They had to. You have animals and plant life and all of this stuff that just has its purpose and does what it does, but we were special in that God created us in his image according to his likeness. These are two different words, and they're very important. In his image means we're somehow like him in his essence. I mean, in a miniature way, I I, I like to use the word icon. It's, a, it's a more of a modern day word for, for this Hebrew word. If you think about like a computer screen and you have a software program and on your desktop you have an icon, which is like a mini representation of the fullness of that software. And this word would be similar to us being like, we're an icon, you know, that God's all of this and then we're like, bink, you know, we are like a representation of, of what all of this is. But the word likeness is not the same word. It's not like an icon. It's not like image. We're all image bearers of God. We're created that way. But the word likeness means to be like him in nature and character, virtue, these kinds of things. And it's my belief that God created us in his image, all of us being image bearers. And prior to sin, he was going to speak to us, walk with us, talk with us, which is proved in Scripture, verse, or Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, where you see how God made us for relationship, and it says that God brought the animals to Adam, and he, he, he watched to see what Adam would name them. I mean, of course, it's kind of interesting because he knew what he would name them, so it's never, you can never really play like hide-and-seek with God, but, 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 he, but he experienced life with Adam, and there's this verse that actually says that in Genesis chapter 2. It says he sat there, he watched to see what Adam would name the animals. That speaks of relationship to me. It's incredible. He walked with them in the cool of the garden and, and spoke with them. And it's my belief that we were created with a blank hard drive. Unlike anything else on the earth, we had the capacity to hear, but we were blank. We weren't created with prior knowledge. Like the hard drive had all of these prior downloads on it. You know, like all of these things were downloaded into it. It was a blank five gigabyte hard drive God gave us that we could understand him, we could interact with him, we could hear him and respond to him. Everything else just had to do what he said. God spoke and said, let there be, and it just was. But with us, there could be dialogue, not just monologue. See, we're special in his image. When he spoke to us about becoming like him, he would teach us his ways. This is what it was probably like in the beginning. We could actually respond and follow what he was saying. Nothing else could do that. Nothing else was created like that, just us. And some would say that we're his crowning creation, and I think we need to settle into that. 
It's, isn't it amazing how today when the enemy comes against people, he comes against their identity, not just personal. We kind of think it's the personal identity, but I think he comes against our existence, what we, are, what we were created for. I mean, that's just a very, it's been a very popular thing, like to, you know, we're just sort of this cosmic nothing. We're, we're random. You and I are random. You know, something banged and here we are, you know, just through time and space and, and things changing and shifting and you and I just popped on the scene because of, of uh, random acts of whatever. I mean, there's, there's an assault against our very existence, But Scripture doesn't teach us that. Scripture actually says that you and I were created to be in relationship with God. But I don't think Christians even, I don't even think all Christians fully believe that. It's amazing when I talk to people about hearing the voice of God. So many of us, I was, I went to a church for a season where we're just told that like you can't hear God and what we're really told is you can't have a relationship with God. And I know there are a lot of crazy people that say they heard from God and and CNN and Fox News will put their camera in their face, and they got like five people in their church. You know, nobody's ever heard of them until they start interviewing these people. And they go, look at these fools that say, or these foolish people that say they hear God. And all of us would say they are being foolish. But they don't come to credible people, you know, and interview those kind of folks that are making a difference, that are having encounters. With, they're actually hearing the voice of the Lord. This is real, by the way, amen? This is actually real. Like, I I believe this. You know, I get up in the morning, and I get out of bed, and I'm like, Genesis chapter 1 is really real. I mean, it's just, and the enemy's stealing that stuff away. Like, we're so smart, you know? In our generation, and in this age, we're so smart. You know, the ancient people were just dumb. That's why they believed all those stories. But we are, we are really, we got it together. And we have the same problems, the same issues, human beings are still dealing with the same things. We're st- we still have as much identity crisis as ever. There's an issue here. We need to know this and fix it in our hearts. We were made for relationship. It's fundamental. It's from the beginning. So I believe we were created with a blank hard drive, and God wanted to walk with us, talk with us, fill the hard drive with truth. And the only thing we do is believe and receive. That's it. That's our relationship with God. Nothing else would enter in. Nothing else was reality. The word truth in the New Testament, in the Greek sense, actually means reality. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am reality. There's not another word for it. It's just the same word. So we're coming to this place of like, we need to know we're special. We need to know that we were created for a purpose. And that purpose fundamentally, not only, but fundamentally is to be in relationship with God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, when he was being tempted by the devil, his response back was, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What did he mean? Life comes from what God says. There are other voices, other voices trying to get us to be persuaded and go another way and do another thing. But Jesus said to the devil, In the temptation moment, man does not live by bread alone. He was tempting him because he was fasting with food, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Life comes from the voice of God. His words bring life. They bring change. They give us exactly what we need. So relationship is the key, but our relationship with God was damaged, as you'll see on our notes, but Genesis chapter 2, God created us to steward the earth 
in the Garden of Eden. And Genesis 2.15 says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden after he created us to cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man. This is the first command in the Bible. From any tree of the garden, Adam, you can eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you will surely die. So God gives Adam a command of abstinence. The, 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 the beauty of all this is that he says to him, you can have all of this, I want you to steward this, I want you to cultivate this, I want you to subdue it, it's all yours, I'm going to walk with you, I'm going to talk with you, we're going to have a great time in relationship, I've created you for this purpose, but I put a tree in the garden, in the middle of the garden, and you can't eat from that tree. Isn't that interesting that God introduces choice into the equation? Many people say that, and I would agree with this, is that real worship, real worship, is to stand in the face of options and choose to worship the Lord. And so here God puts a choice in the middle of the garden, okay? For those of you that think that God doesn't give us a choice. You're going to see how I'm going to go a little bit of the other way at this moment. <laughs> I do believe God gives us a choice. And, and he did from the very beginning. He says, if you eat from this tree, you're going to die. And, and with this command, he, he introduces this choice, a command of abstinence is what you'd say. And the name of the tree is very interesting, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Isn't that interesting? Like, God was the only one to teach us what was right, what was wrong, what was true, what was real. He knew what we could handle. He knew our capacity. He knew what he wanted us to know. He was going to download it as we walked in relationship with him. And the tree's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think that's an accident. I don't think that's a mistranslation. I think that's really what it was called. Genesis chapter 3, the story introduces what we call the serpent, and Paul later on in the New Testament describes the serpent as the devil, references it very clearly. It wasn't just a snake, but it says this in verse 1 of Genesis 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, so here's the devil speaking to the woman, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we can eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, he said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes, she was tempted, in other words, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it, from its fruit, and she ate, and she gave it to her husband with her, and he ate, and then their eyes, the both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loin coverings. The devil was allowed to tempt them. He told them not to eat, or he told them that they should eat what God told them not to eat. And they were tempted to the point where they, they did the very thing God told them not to do. And this is what caused us to have a damaged relationship because we believe somebody else. And it's such a fascinating thing when you get to the New Testament that you actually see the war that we're in. The spiritual war that we're in is, is right here. It starts from the beginning. God created us for something magnificent. An enemy is introduced into the story. The enemy lies to us about the truth. And we get to choose who we believe. So faith matters in this equation, not just then, but all the way up until now. What do you believe? The war is always over what you believe. Isn't it interesting how Jesus, when he talks about him being a shepherd and his sheep being his followers, they listen, they hear his voice, they know him, they follow him. 
he talks about the stranger's voice. And the strangers aren't just the devil, but it's those that are also carrying the devil's voice directly and indirectly. And the, the stranger's voice was coming through the Pharisees who were leading people astray. They were corrupting understanding of the law. They were corrupting the perspective of God. The Pharisees were revealing a different kind of God. They had the right law, but they were corrupting the understanding of the law in the way that they were demonstrating who God was to the people. That's why Jesus rebuked them. He didn't rebuke them because they, were, because they had the law. The law is perfect and good and right and true and showed us that we needed a Savior because we couldn't fulfill it. Isn't it amazing, though, that Jesus came and rebuked the corruption that they added to the law and bringing burdens onto people when they themselves could not fulfill it? But the enemy's voice comes through not just some creature with horns on, but unsuspecting people even. They don't have to be possessed, but there's lies that are transmitted and believed. Adam and Eve were tricked. They were deceived. They believed the lie. They believed the stranger's voice. And in a sense, from that moment on, they begin to go another way. Humanity was introduced to death which is not what we were created for. Death actually began to set in motion, cycles of death. We were created for life. You know that. Jesus came and he said things like, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He who believes in me will never die. <laughs> right? He's the life. It all correlates. It all is put together. It's, it's amazing when you kind of look at it and step back. There was another tree in the garden called the tree of life. It's actually representative of Jesus when you think about it. But when they ate from this tree, the, the Lord said that he couldn't allow them to also take and eat from the tree of life and live in this condition forever. So they were banished from the garden. God didn't banish them from his presence. He banished them from the garden and the ability to stay in that condition and partake of the tree of life and live in this condition forever. God needed to do something as a result of our disobedience and our sin because we listened to the stranger's voice. We trusted another person's voice. So Jesus comes later on to restore our relationship with God. Many things had transpired, obviously, from the time of Adam and Eve until the time when Jesus comes on the scene. I have to kind of fast forward for time's sake. But Jesus did two things. He came to restore our relationship through the cross, his death, resurrection, and be an example to us of what it was like for a human being to be in relationship with the Father. Jesus said to his followers, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He came to give us a revelation of who God is, the Father. One of the things that happened in sin, the day that human beings drifted, walked away, disobeyed, we started to see God the wrong way. We really, we really did. God still was reaching out to his people. A lot of people don't understand the God of the Old Testament, and, and I really think it's because we see pieces, but we don't put it all together. And when you put it all together, you can see a God of love, a God of mercy that is constantly, continually reaching out to broken humanity that puts itself into the horrible situations that it's in. Sickness has come to this planet because we chose to listen to a stranger's voice. People always ask me, where does sickness come from? It comes from original sin. If original sin was never participated in by human beings, we wouldn't have pain, we wouldn't have death, we wouldn't have sickness. We brought this on ourselves and God told us not to. 
That's why the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is so amazing because God redeems everything that we have done against him and he does it eternally. And so we're eternally thankful. We enter into a relationship forever with God that's permanently sealed in a covenant that the Son made with the Father and all we do is believe on Jesus Christ. And that covenant can't be broken because it's not a man-made covenant. We believe on the Son who paid a price for you and for me. And if we believe on what He did, who lived a perfect life, who was a sinless sacrifice, who gave His life so that we could be forgiven eternally, not just when I feel like it and when we don't feel like it. It is an eternal covenant between the Father and the Son that cannot be broken. By faith, we believe in Jesus And we're restored back to relationship with God. We're not entering into a religion. Christianity is not that. Christianity fundamentally is a family. It's not just an individual relationship. It is a family. God created human beings to be a family together. When we're restored to relationship with God as our Father, we are also restored to relationship with one another as brother and sister That's why Christianity begins to manifest in our relationships, and that's the hard part is you and I get to walk out what it really looks like to be Christ-like, to be a human being restored back to what we were created for, love, loving God, loving people. It's what Jesus wanted to bring back into human society. All of the things that we hate about living in this broken planet, the, the hate and the racism and the violence. God didn't create us for this, and God isn't doing this to us. It's what years and years and years and years of brokenness, broken humanity has done to itself. And when we come to Christ, we actually acknowledge that we somehow participated in this sinfulness. And instead of trying to pick and choose of which parts we were responsible for, we just say, God, I'm sorry for whatever part I have played in humanity, disobeying and walking away from you. And I thank you that you didn't just let us walk away and go astray, but you yourself had a plan and you decided that you still wanted to be in relationship with us. So you spared no expense. You bankrupted heaven so that we could be back in relationship with you, which is what you created us for. That's the gospel. And we can't reduce it down to less. That's why when we come to Jesus, we don't give him a part of our life. We give him all of our life because he created all of our life. So we give him all of our life and we say yes to Jesus and it becomes real. It becomes radical. It's the real deal. It's not just a structure, a man-made structure of a religion of us trying to get it right and please God and somehow he's pleased through the work of his son. Luke chapter 19 verse 10, Jesus said, the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He said this to Zacchaeus, a despised man in his culture and his time. He was not just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. He employed extortionists. (laughs) He was the employer thereof giving credence to it, telling them to do it. He made his money by extorting Jews, his own people. He wasn't welcome in the synagogue as a result of it, and he was a short man, and he had to get on a tree to see Jesus because there was crowds around him. And Jesus stops at the tree and looks up and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to eat with you tonight. And that was, in essence, saying I want to 
build some kind of relationship with you. I want to have a time with you. And that was a huge statement in the first century in that culture. You didn't eat with people you didn't want to build some kind of relationship with. And Zacchaeus comes down from the tree and immediately repents. If I've extorted anybody, I will give back not only what I've extorted from them, what I've stolen from them, but I'll give them back several times more. Amazing. He repents automatically because Jesus encountered him. Jesus called him. And Jesus says at the end of that encounter, the Son of Man has came to, come to seek and to save that which was lost. What was lost? That's the question. What was lost? It's not just that we were lost, but what in us was lost? This relationship. We've got to go back to not just what we're saved from, sin, but what we're saved for. We talk a lot about what we're saved from, and that's important that we're cleansed of our sin, but what were we saved for? And if the church is defined by relationship, how is your relationship doing? So often we say that Christianity is not about religion, it's about relationship, and we get these quotes right and these quips, and then you, I have so many people in my office, and I go, well, how's your relationship with God doing? And they, oh, well, you know, no, I don't know, that's why I asked you. <laughs> no offense, but you're in my office I consider it a privilege to walk with people, to help people. I don't give anything to people. I just tell them what's theirs. Sons and daughters, right? Sons and daughters. Jesus came to restore what was lost. What was lost was damaged was our relationship. He came to reconnect us. The word save, I came to save, can mean restore. And the word lost can mean damaged. We had a damaged relationship, and we needed it reconnected. Jesus did that. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 it says, but now in Christ, right, by grace through faith, now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. You were formerly far off, but now you've been brought near by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. How near? Near enough to hear him. Near enough to really know him. This is where it gets a little crazy. It's just that real. Say, well, Ben, there's some crazy people out there that say they hear God. Yes, there are. There are. Absolutely. You don't have to be one of them, but it's not crazy to believe that God speaks to people. It's normal Christianity, and you can't read the Bible and come to another conclusion. To be a biblical Christian is not believing in a historical Jesus only. To be a biblical Christian is not to believe that the Bible was true. To be a biblical Christian means that you believe Jesus rose again and is alive today. To be a biblical Christian means that what happened in the Bible still happens today. He's not any more, uh, he's not just real in the Bible, in these words, in these pages. He's real today. I wonder if sometimes we get lost in other things, and we reduce it down to other things, and then the war becomes over what we believe. And so we're told that it's not available, and we're told that you can't have this kind of relationship with God, and, and we start to believe lesser because we're too busy watching Netflix to care, or don't, you know, don't convict me now, somebody. <laughs> or we're too busy at the gym, you know, because we got to be there two hours a day, you know, to just really look good. We're all going downhill, you know. I'm 
I'm not saying it's bad. I mean, we should, you know, take care of yourself. But I often wonder if the real distraction has nothing to do with what we see on Halloween, but it has everything to do with the stuff that's oh so close to us. You say, well, Ben, you're talking crazy now. Really? Really? You think it's that crazy? Okay. <laughs> Timing doesn't get any better. <laughs> you say, well, Ben, I know all this. Some of us do, but I want to refresh you. I want to encourage you. I want to remind you that God is speaking to us. I'm not, I'm not saying it's every way and he's giving us directional words every day. You know, that's, that'd be schizophrenic, you know. And it's not just things that God wants us to obey, as you'll hear me talk about. I had a massive revelation through this journey that I've been on where, you know, a lot of times it's like, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Sometimes he just wants you to sit there and listen to him tell you that he loves you. That's what God wants to do sometimes. He wants you to stay still long enough to read a couple Bible verses and soak and receive his love for you. Because no matter what your mom did, or your dad did, or your brother and sister did or didn't do, God isn't like that, and he wants you to know it. What kind of relationship do we have? We look in the Bible, and God is our Father. It's what the Bible teaches us. It's not just a relationship. It's not just that he's God out there somewhere. It's that God's our, he's our dad. Jesus introduced God as our father, and he, and he lived as a son to show us what life could look like, right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 15 and 16 says this. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and I won't go contextual. I just want to show you something. Does any, nor does anyone light a lamp, Jesus speaking, or, and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. A light is on a lampstand, amen? And it gives light to all who are in the house. He says, let your light shine before men. In such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Now, in some cases, they wanted to stone him for claiming that God was his Father. But now he's prophesying to this people. And yeah, I mean, the Jews in this time, they would say that God was their Father collectively, but it never was personal. And I've really tried to find it. I've been told that... that um, first century and prior to that, Jews knew that God was their father, but the only thing that I could read, the only thing that I could find was that they collectively thought of God as father in a prayer that was about Israel, but it was net, there was not a personal to it. And I believe that Jesus came to actually help people understand that God wanted to be personal father. You say, why would you say that? Because when you read in John 17 and Jesus is praying, look at his prayer, father, 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 he keeps saying it. He came as a human being. I mean, we struggle with his humanity today, but they struggled with his divinity because they saw him as a human being. I mean, Jesus was sitting in a seat, eating food next to them, woke up in the morning with them, went to sleep. Jesus Christ was right there. And when he prayed, it was accessible to the disciples, and they, they, 
They asked him in Luke 11, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. They wanted Jesus to teach them how to pray. Now, we know on this side of the cross that Jesus was more than just a man in that sense. He came as a man. He reduced himself down to a spirit-filled man. It's not all he was, but that's what he came as. He wanted to show us something, life as a son, or for some of us as a daughter, that we can have something personal with God. It's really available. It's really real. And he kept saying things like, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, he said, Therefore you are to be perfect, some translations say mature, as your heavenly Father, as your Father, your heavenly Father, your Father. It's powerful. Luke chapter 11, verse 2, when Jesus started to teach his disciples how to pray, this is what he said. He said, when you pray, say, the first thing you do is say, Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. This relationship is more personal than many have realized. I remember talking about this a long time ago, and there were people that were getting nervous in the room. There's this one gal, I mean, she looked like if she was in the first century, she would have thrown a rock right at me. She just had that, I'm going to hit you with a rock if I have one kind of look, you know? I mean, it is something to see. And after the service, I went up to her, I said, are you okay? And she said, how can you demand that God speaks to us? And I was like, well, first of all, I've never demanded God to do anything, or I, I, I don't demand God. She had interpreted what I'm saying as I demand something from God. I never talk to God like that. You know, and even if I did, he would forgive me because he'd be like... You are interesting, son. <laughs> you, are, you are one of a kind. There is none like you. I mean, there's definitely none like me, but there is definitely none like you. But she, she said to me, how can you demand God speak to us right now? And I just said, I, he's a loving dad. Why would I think he wouldn't want to? I think God wants to speak to us more than we want to hear him. And it was a shift in her perspective, and you could see her wheels working as I'm talking. They're starting to change, and I'm looking at her, and I'm thinking, who told you whatever they told you? And she started to go through how she was raised in a place, and I honor the church. I mean, we all can pick some good stuff up from every church. We don't have everything down for sure. I, I get it, right? And I'm reminded of it every time I speak. But we pick something up. Every church, every denomination, whatever, is carrying something. They're carrying an emphasis of God's heart, most likely, something practical, something important. You know, I read books from all kinds of people that I don't necessarily wouldn't like their flavor, but that's, they're carrying something, and I want to glean from them, and I think that's a mature perspective, but she came from this background that told her that, you know, this isn't, essentially, what she, what she got was that God's not personal, God doesn't speak to people, you, if you want to hear God, you just read the Bible, and I, and I looked at her, and I said, man, isn't it funny how Everybody can read the Bible, and everybody, you can come up with all kinds of different ways of looking at that. I mean, we don't want to talk about that, do we, though? We want, that's not for tonight. That's for how to study the Bible class. God is a good father, and he wants to shape us and coach us, and he does so by a spirit living in us as Christians. The first thing Jesus teaches them in prayer is how to approach God, approach God as a father. When you come to pray, say, Father. You know, you approach fa a father, a good father, differently than you would a boss. I mean, I think that's completely the case. You approach a father, a good father, or even mother for, for that matter. You approach them differently because of that relationship. You don't speak to them the same way that you do, just kind of like a distant cousin or 
some friend or a coworker or whatever. You don't talk to that person the same. And how you see God determines how you approach him. And I would actually tell you that how you see God determines how you hear from him in some ways. There are verses, and I've heard people read them differently, and I go, that's not the way I read that verse, but the way that they're, the tone that they read it in. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I commanded you. That sounds a little different than, hey, guys, if you love me, what I need you to do is I need you to focus on and follow through with what I told you while we were walking on the earth together. Sounds a lot different, doesn't it? Oh, man. We got a little problem, Houston. Because depending on where you come from or what you hear in your head or what the enemy is able to box you with, that's your war right there. How do you see God? How do you approach God? And what kind of a father is God really to you? And I think that there's two ditches on either side of the road when we talk about God being a father. Because, again, if we want to hear God, we need to know that it's embedded in relationship with God. And hearing him often can be determined by how we see him, what he is like in our mind. Not the word tells us how he is. But just because the word says that, you can hear that differently. And I, I'm with people enough to know that. If you love me, I, I hear people say, they rail on this stuff. Well, only people that obey Jesus really love him. I'm like, wow, the way you talk, I bet you there's a lot of people wanting to get discipled. <laughs> you know, it's kind of scary. <laughs> right? It doesn't speak of a father that would give his son. It doesn't sound like that to me. But there's a ditch on either side of the road. So you can, you can portray the love of God or the love of a father like this, this is unlimited love, this father that obviously is so much farther beyond what a good father would be on the earth. You can portray him as lovey-dovey and like he never, he just never looks at anything wrong that you do. Some people talk about God's love like that, like he would never, he would never discipline you. They'll use different words, you know, because they're afraid of actually talking about that aspect of the fathering of God because they, they don't want to bring that into it, right? So they, they really kind of start portraying God as somebody who it doesn't really care if you do something wrong. It doesn't, it doesn't really bother him. It doesn't grieve him at all. Some people portray him that way and that his love that way. And there are others who portray God and his love that's very, you know, something that you have to earn, right? Something that you have to work for. And we know that grace means, unde it means uh, unmerited favor, undeserved favor, right? The grace of God. God gave his son because we couldn't come to God on our own terms in our own righteousness. And so Jesus, in his righteousness, gave his life so that we, believing in him, could be restored back to relationship with the Father through what Jesus did, not what we did. And so that's grace. It's undeserved. It's unmerited favor that we enter into through Jesus Christ. And so some people paint, but some people take that and they're like, well, yeah, that's true, but then you really gotta, you know, and we do want to walk with the Lord, but we walk with the Lord as Christians by the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own strength. It's not like, thanks for the salvation. Now I'm really going to strive hard to live it, you know. It's like, no, man, you got power from God living in you now. And so we've got to be awake to that and alive to that. Like, you're not just the person that you once were. That's why the Bible says that the old is gone, the new is come. You're a new creation in Christ. And so the war is over what you believe now. And when temptation to sin comes, you go, it's not who I am anymore. You start to believe that you actually are new. It's not just fictitious. It's not just a story. It's not just someday. It's that he's actually transforming you into this new person. You're born again in your spirit. 
And you begin to walk that out and manifest that and live that out day by day from glory to glory, one step after the other. But there's a ditch on either side of trying to communicate the father heart of God or the fatherhood of God. C.S. Lewis said this. I've always quoted this. I like to post it on Facebook like every six months. It's because it's one of those that comes back to me. And here's what he said about in The Problem of Pain, which is one of my favorite books. By the goodness of God, we mean nowadays almost exclusively his lovingness. Now, you're not going to understand some of the wording on this, or maybe you will. I don't, but. And in this, we may be right. And by love, in this context, most of us mean kindness, the desire to see others than the self happy, not happy in this way or in that, but just happy. God just wants us to be happy. What, we really, what would really satisfy us would be a God who said of anything we happen to like doing, what does it matter so long as they are contented? That's what some people think the love of God is. What does it matter what they're doing as long as they're happy? That's what some people think is what he's saying. We want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven. A senile, no offense, <laughs> C.S. Lewis, y'all, he's with the Lord, let's honor that. A senile benevolence who, as they say, like to see young people enjoying themselves and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. I should very much like to live in a universe which was governed of such lines, but since it is abundantly clear that I don't, and since I have reason to believe, nevertheless, that God is love, I conclude that my conception of love needs correction. Oh, man. You say, Ben, why did you bring that up? What does he mean? He's trying to say that some people think that God's love is blind. That God being a father is more like a grandfather, and grandfathers are different than fathers. Grandfathers spoil their kids, and they think it's almost funny to send them back to mom and dad. Hyped up, juiced up, sugared up. Not all, but you're not as concerned when you're not taking them on. I look forward to those days. But ultimately, you have this tension because you know that the father and the mother ha are the ones that have to raise them. And you play a role, and that role is important, but it's not the same role. And so he was saying that some people want a grandfather and not a father, and that's the way they look at the love of God, and that's not true. Like I said, there's a ditch on either side of the road when we come to talking about God's love. I want to just tell you something. God's going to correct us because he loves us. I correct my kids. When there's a problem in our house with my wife and I, we sit down and we talk about it. We don't avoid it. We don't act like it's not there. Oh, you meant well. No, no, you, you didn't do well. So we deal with what you did, but there's a difference. When my son or daughter lies, if they tell a lie, it doesn't make them a liar. It just means that their behavior was such that they lied. We discipline and correct the lie, but we don't label them as an identity for the rest of their life that they're a liar. Now, if you work a job and you lie to your boss, you'll probably get fired and they may for the rest of their life think of you as a liar. But in relationship and in family, fathers and mothers, that's not what we're to do. We're to look at our sons and daughters freshly and newly when they wake up the next morning, and that's what God has done for us and in us and with us in Jesus Christ. He doesn't label us according to our sin, but he draws us into this repentance, and he draws us into this relationship where we come to him in honesty and sincerity, even when we don't do what we should do. But we've got to be able to hear that. If you don't think of God that way, you're not going to hear God. 
Isn't it amazing that the way you see God also determines whether or not you hear God? Some people are blocked out from the correctional aspect, and I'll tell you, you can waste five years going down the wrong road because your ears are closed to the correction that you need that will shift you and move you in the direction that God has called you to go. He wants you to go down this road, but because sometimes we close our ears to the thing that might be hard to hear, we're not realizing that we're obstructing what God really has for our life. And so we pray, God, I want to hear you. And we pray, God, I want to know you and I want to walk with you and I want to go where you're going and do what you're doing. But all the while we do it like this, God, I want to hear you. Lord, I love you. I really want to hear you, God. I'm telling you. I just love to hear you, Lord, whatever you got to say. But what if what he had to say was that one thing that might be like a full down payment up front, not monthly installments, <laughs> that full down payment up front. And we just can't hear him because we think of him as a grandfather and not a father. Our culture is so twisted in this issue of love, so twisted in this issue of love, right? Like, you can't love me if you disagree with me. I mean, that's the whole LGBTQ issue. If we were to bring that up, I could, I could do that. It's like, you are a hate mongrel because you disagree. That is absolutely absurd. Are you telling me that it is impossible to love somebody that you disagree with? We do it in family all the time. That's not even rational. That logic doesn't stand. God loves us in the midst of whatever our sin is. He's drawing us, and he calls us to do the same. He's not labeling us, but he deals with our behavior, and that's why Jesus came to wipe it away, but we've got to come and deal with it honestly with our Father who is actually trying to father us. It's what he's trying to do. A father directs and instructs and corrects and encourages and instills identity into his children. No wonder a rebellious culture will resist the very thing that they were created for because they do not know that on the, in their response to the Father comes their identity is released and what they were created for and being on this planet starts to manifest. All we're really resisting in rebellion is who we're created to be. That's it. Now, I just think that... Um, when we approach this topic, hearing the voice of God, we've got to look at it from relationship. We're not trying to get something out of him. We're not trying to just get a feel-good experience. I started, we'll talk about prophecy and hearing the voice of God personally for the first three weeks, and the last three weeks, hearing the voice of God prophetically, which is for other people. First about ourselves, secondarily, we'll talk about hearing God for other people. But I think that when we know the voice of the Father, when we know the voice of the Father, we become instruments in the hands of God of redemption and love and peace and reconciliation and transformation to people all around us. We have this profound privilege of representing God. I mean, if that doesn't just blow you away, I don't know what will. Yeah. You get to stand before God carry his message, his love, his life, receive of that, and then represent that to other people. Is that not profound? I mean, not just representing a company. We're not just representing this building or representing God and his son, Jesus Christ. It's so profound. We, we're not going to get everything right every day, but we have to be humble. We have to be open. We have to be honest. We have to be willing. We, we don't want to be the smartest people in the room. 
this area that we live in in Washington, and sorry for you that are viewing from wherever you are, but go with me on this. It's just so intellectualized. And I, I'm not putting down intellect. We want to have a good working brain in and functioning, especially while we're talking to other human beings. Probably a good thing. <laughs> sort of a side note, every now and again, my <laughs> every, every now and again, one of my sons, I have two older boys, and they would say things to me. And I would say, I'm sorry, is this a piece of your brain? Because it should probably be, it should probably be in and working while we're having a conversation. I'm just, you know when they say something and they're trying to pull one over on you? It's like, you're not a good dad. No, actually, I'm a great dad. And uh, I just have a little fun with my kids. I used to go to the high school and I'd be like, don't leave me, as I would drop them off. <laughs> my wife's back there, she... So I figured, like, let's get on the front end of this thing, you know? They're already embarrassed of me. Let's just go for it. <laughs> this is funny? You think this is funny? That's good. <clears throat> for some of you younger parents, at, uh, we have some older boys and younger kids, so we're kind of trying to do it right now. We, we've made a lot of mistakes on the older ones. Sorry, guys. But... <laughs> I, I taught them, like, it was funny because I would work this stuff into our uh, system on teaching them to pray later on in life, of course. But I would, I'd be going to Starbucks, and, and they'd say, hey, get us something. And I'd say, absolutely. And I'd come back with, like, a straw and a napkin. <laughs> True story. It took them, like, three times to get it. And finally, finally, they would be like, hey, get me a grande caramel frappuccino with whip and extra whip and caramel and, 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 and one of those. And then I would like the same exact thing. In case you forgot, a grande caramel. I mean, they were like so specific. And then I would use that for like how we pray and be specific and prayer to God, which is, you know, just sort of making fun of them. But man, it was awesome. So good. And that was for free in case you guys aren't there yet with your kids. But <laughs> praise the Lord. And then just turn it into a spiritual, right? Just, just, just twist it. You know, what I was really trying to do was teach you about prayer, that God wants us to be specific, amen, and so that was really my heart in that, it wasn't to make fun of you, although it was funny, and, uh, and yes, last night when you went to bed, us and our friends were laughing at you guys, we were, all right, you know, I, um, I think that we don't know often how to be sons and daughters of God. And so what we're doing is we're learning. I'm, I married my wife. I was 24. She was 27. She had a 9 and 11-year-old, Isaiah Navante. And I, you know, adopted them, and they became, I became their father. At 24, I had a 9 and 11-year-old. And there's no book for that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Dr. James Dobson said in his book, Bringing Up Boys, God gives them to us as babies so that we don't go to prison for murder. I was kind of wondering what he meant by that, <laughs> because I didn't really have, you know, felt very empowered, but, but I was, you know, I didn't know how to be a father, which isn't God's point of view. He's a good father. He's a perfect father, but I could see that they didn't, they had never had a father, and they didn't know how to be sons. They didn't know how to, they had a mom, but they didn't know how to do this dad thing. You know, dad, is that, is that dad being tough, or is that right, or is that, you know, so we'd spent several years just figuring this thing out, and I would watch them acclimate to a father, and 
And I think that process can be somewhat similar in, in spiritual terms that we don't really know what it means to walk with God as Him being our Father. I mean, we kind of have this idea that we think, oh, God's our Father, and, but we haven't all had good examples. And some of us had really good examples that weren't still perfect, but they were good examples and they were bridges for us to having God as a Father. Other, others of some of us in this room have barriers because our Father wasn't what they should have been. And some of us, by the grace of God, we, He's just covered all that, and we just enter into this relationship. But that's exactly what we can do, no matter where we are today, is we can enter into this relationship where God isn't just trying to be God, although He is God. He is God Almighty, but He's saying to us, I want to be your Father. I want to be that. I have come and sent my Son Jesus for that. That's what, we, that's what I want to have with you. We're just going to cross over into heaven one day and then, oh, yeah, he's really serious about this. It's very intellectual is the way that we approach God. We, we approach God very intellectual. I mean, I, I, I'm amazed. I, I've been a Christian for 17 years. All this has a point, by the way. I'm coming back around. But I've been a Christian for 17 years, and I've been teaching for 16 of those 17 years. And I never thought, like, oh, I'm the best teacher. I'm just sharing what I have. I'm sharing what I know or at least part of what I know, I, we all know in part, but as I'm sharing, I, it's amazing how like people, you'll get, you'll get done and I'll get emails of corrections and people like, well, you said this and you said this, like, yeah, I mean, maybe I was off a little bit, maybe I was a little, I was not trying to be off, but we, we intellectualize everything and often people, when they hear something experiential and they don't register with that, they kind of go, well, that just can't be, like, God can't speak to people, like, you know, we should be really concerned about that, I'm like, Why? I mean, just go to sleep fine tonight. I don't know why you're concerned about that. If, you're, if you should be concerned, it should be that you, your relationship with God isn't where it could be. If you should have a concern in your life, it's not that somebody else is somehow misrepresenting God. If you really know him better than they are saying they do, then why don't you just get on with your relationship with the Lord? Why did this become a blip on your screen if you really know him? And if you really know how big he is, you know that he's not like, I can't believe they misrepresented me like that. I want to send you over there. You know me better than that. Go talk to him about it. Come on. Like somehow we're going to enter into heaven, and this is what God's going to say. He's going to, hey, Gabriel, Michael, come around. Hey, Ben, I'm so, Ben, I'm glad you're here. Man, can you talk, can you tell everybody about me? Because you did it so good on the earth. I, I want to, Michael, come on, Gabriel, come on, guys. We've been waiting for Ben forever. He's really got a great perspective of me. I just don't think that's going to happen to you. I think I'm going to see him and go, my God, I didn't realize. I didn't realize you were that great. I didn't realize you were that amazing. My eyes were veiled. I didn't know that was you. I mean, I knew about you, like Job said. My, I, I knew about you, but I didn't really know you like I even talked about. It's just something and we're going to fall to our face and worship God because we're going to be amazed. You sent your son? Look at who you are. My gosh. We won't be able to stop crying, and then he'll wipe the tears from our eyes and say, stand up, son. Stand up, daughter. I was trying to get your attention the whole time. I loved you every minute. I'm with you. I'm for you, and you're going to spend eternity with me. I'm telling you, none of us are going to pass over into the next life as these smart theological people. 
I don't want to be inaccurate in my representation of God, but I'm telling you, I really think somehow we're getting it wrong whenever we portray a lifeless relationship with God. That is not what Jesus died for. He did not die so that we could live in death until we die and then we could come alive. And I can't say that a second time, so I hope you got it the verse. You understand what I'm saying? I know what I was before I met Jesus. I know exactly what I was. You can't steal that from me. I look at people today and the drugs and the alcohol and the sexual addiction and all this stuff. We are wandering. We are looking for something to satisfy us. We want something to make us feel better because we don't like how we feel. But Jesus can come and change all that, and he's speaking to us. He's loving on us. He's drawing us. He's pulling us in, and he wants us to be so convinced of that that people that get around us can't help but wonder, what in the world is wrong with you? What is that thing? I just, I don't even, you're not even saying, I just feel it. I read books of men and women of the past, and people would get on trains and sit next to them and come under conviction, not just conviction of how bad they were, but also there's something about you. There's something I need. They would start to feel their void because they, st- they were sitting next to somebody that was full of life. In the Old Testament, Moses would come down from the mountain, and his face would glow, be like, oh. I don't think I could try to set these things up better, guys. And it's not God. I'm not saying it's the Lord, but man, it's funny. It's really good. But I think that like when we are full of life and we could just sit next to somebody and life himself lives in us, people can sense the difference at times. There are men that I know, women that I know, I I mean, one particular person comes to my mind, when I sit in their presence, I tremble. It's just somebody that knows God. They, They carry the presence of the Lord, and I stayed in their house one time. I come out to use the bathroom at like 3 a.m., and they're just sitting there with their hands out praising Jesus, like, Father, thank you. They're speaking in tongues and all kinds of stuff. I don't know if they were coming in and out of sleep or what they were doing, but I come out at 3 in the morning, and I'm like, whoa. Just making sure my pants were on. I'm like... Because at three in the morning, I'm like this. And I sit with that person, and I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. I tremble. Like, I can sense the presence of God so powerfully. They're not special. They're not, they're not, they, don't, they don't walk like that or talk like that. They don't, I'm so amazing. They, they're the opposite of that. They honor me, and they're twice my age, and, it's ama- and they, there's something about that, you know, the relationship with the Lord. And this person hears from the Lord like no other person I know. But it's because they spend time with with him. It's not because they're better than you or me or anything like that, you know. <clears throat> so I'm just going to close. Obviously, we've I've taken you a while. I want to just say before I do that I wrote down here, I think, on the developing a relationship with God, I, I thought about just maybe a few things. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't. I don't know. We're all in different places, right? Uh, We're all candidates for the love, the grace, the mercy of God. Many of us, if not all of us, have received that. 
but we're also all candidates for deep, meaningful, abiding relationship with God. And we're as close to God as we really want to be right now. Some of us, we um, have filled our hard drive. It's really full. We want to know God. We want to spend time with God. We want to hear from God. But our hard drive is so full that when he speaks, we can't receive it. And I would tell you that's what repentance is all about. Repentance is about changing our mind, changing our behavior. It's about coming to God and being honest that we are full and we need to be empty so that he can fill us. But until we're honest about that, we're going to walk around as full people wondering why we don't hear the voice of God. I'll tell you why you don't hear the voice of God. There's a verse in 1 John, and it always troubled me until I started to get a little bit of a glimpse of what it meant. It said, love not the world, right? Those who love the world, right, the love of the Father is not in them. He describes the love for the world or the love of the world as the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, these three things, right? And you kind of have to figure out what those things are, but they really trace back to Genesis. You can see some of this stuff just weave throughout Scripture, but he says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And those who have the love of the world in them, the, the love of the Father cannot be in them. And I just thought, wow, like he's talking to Christians and like, whoa, like, what is, is that me? I mean, do I not have the love of God in me? And I realized, I realized one day, it just hit me. We have a certain capacity. Unlike God, we are not limitless. We have a limit. He's given us a capacity, right? Life comes from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And if we're full, the love of the Father can't fill us because we're so full of everything else. We want to hear from Him. We want knowledge about Him. We want to walk with Him but we're just so full. And so there are seasons in our life where we do need to empty ourselves and be really honest and look in the mirror and not be afraid of what it really shows. And I mean, friends, I mean we need to step in front of the bright lights and be who we are, be where we are, and be honest about it. I mean, the mirror can be an intimidating thing unless you're somebody that looks in the mirror and says, you're welcome, which you shouldn't be. But if you are, I can't help you. But hopefully you're not that way. But the mirror can be an intimidating thing, especially when you're like, okay, this is it. This is really where I'm, I'm at. God, would you empty me? And you just confess your sins before God, who, by the way, paid a price for every sin in our life. And you would say, Ben, are you teaching me that, like, I need to get resaved? No. Salvation is secure when you believe in Jesus and his finished work. But that doesn't mean that your relationship is thriving. It doesn't, it's not an automatic. And sometimes people talk like it is. It's like, oh, I'm just free in Jesus, and I just love Jesus. I haven't talked to him for a week, but you know, we're just good. <laughs> like, no, you're not, and you're not even looking in the mirror. And I'm not saying you need to grovel. You know, you're, not a, you're a saint who sins at times, but you're not that anymore. Your identity has changed I'm not asking you to grovel, but I'm also asking you not to cover over it like it's not really there. I mean, if, would you do that with your spouse? You just say something crazy to your spouse or somebody in your close family and then walk out the door and then three hours come back in and act like, hey, what's for dinner? I mean, what kind of a relationship would that breed? Not a good one. 
It doesn't mean that the covenant's broken because you said something you shouldn't have. But it means that that relationship isn't going to get very, it's not going to be very good. You see? So sometimes people confuse salvational forgiveness and relational forgiveness. And you shouldn't. Salvational forgiveness is that Jesus paid a price for our salvation to be reconnected, reunited with the Father. But that doesn't mean that you and I automatically have a close relationship. Now we get to cultivate that relationship. He's reconnected it. We get to cultivate it. And by the way, he allows us to have choices, which means you can choose to set your alarm or not. You, right? I mean, sometimes people talk about grace like you, you don't have a choice in the matter. I'm sorry, you do. You can choose a lot of things in life. People say we're free will moral agents. I mean, to some degree we are. I believe in limited free will. I didn't choose the color of my skin. I didn't choose where I was going to be born. I, there's a lot of things I didn't choose in life. But when I'm restored back into relationship with Jesus, he gives me so, that choice back. So I get to cultivate my garden, and he empowers me. He gives me the power of the Spirit to do it right. So I'm not doing it in my own strength now. I'm doing it by the strength that he supplies. I'm doing it by the power that he gives, not in my own strength, but in his. And that's the life of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So our whole life is learning how to walk by the Spirit so that we no longer live according to the flesh. But that takes a while to learn. By the way, we're new creations in Christ, born again in our spirit. Our spirit is born again, made new. And we're learning how to manifest that so that our soul and our body comes in alignment with that and no longer acts like it once did. I, I don't have time to go into this, but it's important. So I hope you're picking up some of what I'm laying down. Jesus came preaching repentance. And I would tell you that if you want to hear the voice of God, you have to live a repentant life. You have to empty your hard drive. If you're unwilling to empty your hard drive, you won't hear the voice of God. You go to your work tomorrow, and somebody says something to you, and they make you upset, and you just, oh, man, like that person, because they don't like me, and I don't like them, you know, and you don't say that out loud, right, you know. But then you come to Pastor Ben, and you say, Ben, will you pray for me, because I want to get a new job, and I'm going to say, why do you want to get a new job? And you're like, this person doesn't like me, and I go, well, have you prayed for them? Because there's like a Bible verse about that, right? Pray for those who despitefully use you. See, we're not manifesting Christ. You guys with me? Somebody breathe because you're like, what? He's, don't touch on this, Pastor Ben. Don't touch on this. That's really messing with me right there. But I wonder if we're misunderstanding. What if the Lord is saying, forgive them? What if the Lord is saying, pray for them? What if the Lord is saying, I want you to love them? What if the Lord is saying there's something wrong with the way that they're, with, with their home life? There's something wrong with the way that they're seeing things. There's something wrong with what's going on at home? What if the Lord was speaking to you about them and because you were open and available to seeing that and you weren't taking things so personally and so offended, you could actually hear the voice of God, but when your hard drive is full, you're not listening. You see what I'm saying? If we're open and available and we're open to his lordship and his leading and it's no longer about us because we're bought with a price, we're not our, our own. And it, you know what I'm saying? This is so important that people, I want to hear the voice of God, but we've tuned out his voice because we're just full and repentance is the gift that God has given us in order to 
place him as Lord over our life, put him first, and then we begin to hear all of the things that he is telling us because we're not hindering and we're not trying to restrict him. No matter what it might cost us, we know that it's better that we follow the words and the ways of Jesus because that's exactly who we were created to be. Jesus is looking at us and going, hey, I know this person is just all angry and they're all upset at you and they're targeting it at you, but watch what I'll do. Let's just pray. Let's just pray this thing out. I want you to take your lunch. I want you to start fasting. Watch what we're going to do. Watch what's going to happen. I want you to partner with me in this. I want you to do something nice for them. Watch how it's going to mess with them. You're gonna, and then they're going to say something mad at you. They're going to they're try to like, you know, like a little kid that gets all disturbed. But watch. I love them because I want to be their father too. You start hearing them a lot more often, don't you? Right. Repentance is a key to hearing the voice of God. It's putting Jesus back on the throne of your life. It's powerful. 